what a wonderful way to start a service, and I think we should start every service like that, you know? So hopefully we get that moving again. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we will be in Jonah chapter 2 today. I encourage you to open to that. Uh, and so uh, we're continuing our, our four-week series in Jonah. Some of you guys were quite upset that I told you there's no such thing as a whale in Jonah. Sorry to ruin everything. I'm going to ruin your Christmas story someday too as well about the three wise men and other stuff as well. Uh, no, just kidding. Open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. We'll be there. Actually, we'll start in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to pick, off, pick up where we left Jonah off last time. Uh, if you don't know who Jonah is, Jonah is a prophet of the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. You say, what does that mean? They had minor and major prophets. Minor prophets are just those who had small, smaller books. And so if you had a smaller book of the Bible, about four to seven chapters or less, they called you a minor prophet. If you had big books or longer, they called you a major prophet. Like Daniel, for example, is a major prophet, to give you an example. And if you don't know what a prophet is, uh, maybe you've heard that term, prophecy or whatever. Prophecy just means a message from the Lord. God has given you a message to either for you or to give to someone else. That is a prophecy from the Lord. It's not some futuristic, the end times when everything's going to happen, the apocalypse, any of that sort of stuff. While, while that is falling under that umbrella, reality is it's just a message for the, from the Lord to a certain group of people. And the people who bring that message is called a prophet. And that's what Jonah is. He's given a message from the Lord to a group called the Ninevites and uh, the people of Nineveh, and he's called to bring this message to him. What makes his book interesting, as we talked about last week, is unlike all the other prophet books that you read about in Scripture and stuff, generally it has this long prophecy of all these things God says he's going to do. Jonah's not that. Jonah's a historical account of Jonah's life. As a matter of fact, the prophecy is just one sentence long that we're going to read next week. It's very short. It's a historical account about this guy named Jonah. And so there's something to learn about his life that I think applies to our life. If you don't remember, last week we left off where Jonah is just running. I mean, he is spiritually dead, running from the Lord, trying to do everything he is. He's come to a last-ditch effort, and he's like, you know what, I'm done. Just, he tells the guys on the ship, says, just, just throw me in the water, let me die. And it sounds like his last plea, but really it's his last-ditch effort just to run from God. And these sailors who try as much as they can to save him realize there's, there's no other way. The Lord is doing something here. And they throw him in the water, and he, in some ways, probably thinking, I'm finally done. I don't have to go and live the way God wants me to do to follow his plan. But lo and behold, a giant fish, not well, sorry, giant fish comes and swallows him. And we pick up Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. It says, now the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And that's where we leave him. He's He's stuck. He's stuck in this giant fish. Have you, ever, have you ever had a fishy moment? You know what I'm talking about? Like a place where you've just been, where you were stuck in something and couldn't get yourself out? I know you want to take us to a spiritual level, but let's not do that for a second. Have you just been stuck in something that you needed help out? Like, I think I have a video clip of what I'm talking about right here. Uh, do we have that video? You ever been in something like that? I had another YouTube video of a lady, I don't know how, somehow she had her whole arm stuck in a toilet and they couldn't get out. And the fire department had to literally pull the toilet out with her and break it outside the house. Have you ever been stuck in something that someone had to come literally bail you out? If you have, take a second with the person next to you, do me a favor, look at the person next to you, say hello, if you haven't done so yet, say looking good if you're related to them or not, it don't really matter, just say hello, and then, and then do that, share an off time that you got stuck literally and someone had to come pull you, get you out of whatever it was. Take a second, do that, and we'll jump back into this. <clears throat> I 
my bet is if you've been stuck before, most of those stories generally had some sense of embarrassment on you that you got stuck in that situation, right? Uh, one I had was actually about six, seven years ago when I first came on as a youth pastor here way back when, and we had a youth D now that was going on, which is just a, a discipleship weekend we had. I was getting stuff together, and we had some uh, uh, dodgeballs out by the rec court I needed to go get. It had just started raining outside, and uh, I needed to go get some, and I didn't want to walk in the rain. So I do what any uh, youth pastor do. I got the church van and began taking it out there. I, I got there, and as soon as I left the gravel part and hit the grass part, I began to feel my wheels just to do this, and I realized I was sinking miserably. And at that point, I realized I'm committed. You ever been to that point? Like, I'm, I'm committed. There's no turning back. And so I try to go even harder and go faster. Instead, what I did, much to some uh, people who do the grounds crews here, chagrin, I, I buried that bad boy all the way down to the axles, and I could not get it out. It was a muddy mess out there. I'm trying to get out. Youth start showing up. I'm stressing out. I'm like, I'm just going to quit now. Like, just, it's, it's the easiest thing to do right here. And I remember coming in, and Bradley Cox, one of our elders, was here. And I'm just, I'm almost in tears. He's like, oh, what am I going to do? And he's like, what's wrong? And I said, the van's stuck. We need it. I can't get it out. Youth are showing up. What do I do? And man, you think it was Christmas morning. That dude lit up, says, I got a truck. And he went out there. And he tore up the property even more out there, but he got that thing out. And you would think, man, like I said, I made his day right there getting out. But I was so embarrassed. To this day, some of my former youth still make fun of me every time I see it, say, have you got a van stuck lately? I mean, it just continues and sticks with me. It's funny when we get stuck how we are desperate in need for anybody, someone to bail us out. Jonah's in a situation where he's stuck, and I want to look at his situation. And here, Jonah, too, is his prayer to God. And what's interesting to me is I want to look at how God behaves and responds when we're stuck, because there's truths with Jonah that I think stand true with us as well. And the big idea that you're going to come to find that I'm going to unpack with Jonah too is this, is that when you're stuck, God alone can get you out. Let me say it again, when you're stuck, God alone can get you out. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to read it all, then unpack it. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord for his God, for his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. He answered me. I called you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean's depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and uh, stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped its round, itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O oh Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As, as my life was slipping away, I, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayers went out to you in your holy temple. You see, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you and with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Well, what an interesting thing that I want to pack, but what's interesting is just what's going on, some context stuff here. If Jonah is not an allegory, in other words, a story just made up to teach a life lesson, this account is coming straight from Jonah's mouth. No one else was there except him and God, right? And so this is Jonah having to recount, tell about what's going on, and he's crying out to God, and he does it in a prayer and a psalm. As a matter of fact, many of this, if you have a study Bible, it might show you where a lot of this is actually, they believe, quoted scripture from the book of Psalms, which Jonah would have been familiar with. As a matter of fact, some scholars even say it's so quoted to a point that they almost accuse him of plagiarism in it. 
But there's nothing wrong with quoting back truths in your life that other scholars have said and reading back, quoting back Scripture to God, and he's doing just that. But what's interesting about this is the psalms that he's pulling from are not what's called lament psalms. They're called thanksgiving psalms. This is a thanksgiving prayer. Think about that for a second, because he's still in the belly of a fish. Faith Life Study says this in their, Bible, their study Bible says, a thanksgiving psalm typically recounts a past danger. It describes God's deliverance and offers thanks. But, but Jonah is still in the belly of a fish, like not yet fully out of danger. His situation, what we call for what is called a lament psalm, a confession of sin or cry of distress punctuated by a hope in God's future deliverance. So, so why is he giving a thanksgiving psalm prayer here? And we'll actually come back to that at the end because I think it's quite interesting. And so just kind of store that away, if you will. What's even more interesting to me is that Jonah, in my opinion, you see, is, is to the Old Testament what the prodigal son is to the New Testament. He's a prodigal prophet. He's a guy who once knew the Lord and was used by God and suddenly came to the point and says, I want to live my own life. I go away. And even in Jonah chapter 2, 7, there's some semblance where he comes to a point. He says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered how good God was. Does that sound familiar? If you remember the account of the prodigal son, the son who ran away in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, it says, when he came finally to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hungry. He says, I know my father's good. He, he remembers his dad. It's interesting to me, this stuff. But, but notice, when you read Jonah's story with account, what, what is glaringly missing from Jonah's prayer? There's something that's missing that, that you think should be here from a story of deliverance. It's an act of repentance. Nowhere does Jonah apologize or repent for what he's done. At no point he said, God, I know I've ran from you. I know I've avoided your call. He never repents for what he's done. He never apologizes. He, to this point, is still being as stubborn as can be. As a matter of fact, I would say this. He doesn't repent. He actually is just relenting. You say, well, what's the difference? Like, like Jonah's not repenting. He's just kind of resigning to the facts. In other words, he knows that he's going to Nineveh one way or the other. And the Lord and the Lot even let death stop God's plan. Like he's going whether he likes it or not. You might be saying, what's the difference between repentance and, and relenting or whatever? But I understand this. When we show remorse for our situation but lack repentance for our sin, we're doomed to repeat the cycle over and over and over again. Why? Because we have not come to terms with what's going on. It's like it's if, if, as if we acknowledge the symptoms but ignore the actual problem of what is really going on. And Jonah's doing that right here. He has not repented. And it's such an interesting account. And so I want to unpack, like, what, what does Jonah teach us how God operates when we're stuck? Well, the first part I want you to look at in Jonah chapter verses 1 and 2. Let's look at that. He says, I cried out to the Lord. In my great trouble, he's in distress. He goes, I cried out, and what does God do? He answered me. He says, I called to you from God, from the land of the dead. This word here is Sheol in some of your scriptures, what it says. It's actually the Hebrew understanding of hell. It's, it's, it's where there is no return. He literally thinks he's at the depth of hell, like I'm in the worst possible situation. And what happens? I called to you, and what happened? And the Lord, you heard me. You see, the truth I want you to stand in this is God always answers his calls. God always answers his calls. No matter where you are or what's going on in your life, God always listens to us. He always does. He's always there. God, God's not a distracted father like I am. If you get around my kids, my kids will say, Dad, 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 Dad. They literally, Hallie's gotten to the point where she grabs my head, grabs my ears, and points at her and says, Dad, are you listening to me? And it has to get me to shake my head before she starts telling because she knows I'm a distracted father. Football's going on. I love you, but fo football, right? I mean, come on. Like, you understand, child. There's more important. No, there's not more important things. 
But unlike me, listen, God, listen, he, he's always present. He's always interruptible, and he always dialogues back. I, I don't know where you're at or what's going on in your life, but listen, sometimes you think, man, I, I cry like God, God's not listening. God, God's listening. I don't feel like God's has any, like, I don't think he'll talk. Like, God's always ready to dialogue. I love that about him. He, he always answers his calls. I think of that about with, uh, we're very blessed in our life between mine and Emily. Mine, Emily and my are both of our fathers. Uh, they're always a phone call away to save the day for us. As a matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we we're driving down, I told you, on North Expressway, and our van breaks down, starts smoking out everywhere, and so we immediately pick up our phones. I call my dad, she calls her dad, and guess what? In two minutes, I don't know where they are at, they're right there, there to help us to save the day. It's not the first time they happen. Like, like God is always just a phone call away. It's just a question if you're going to reach out to him. Think of where he's at. He's got nowhere else to go. He's completely rebelled, run from God. There's no reason in his right mind why God would ever want to talk to him. What? He cries out to God, what happened? God answered. God listened. Another truth I love in verse 3 through 4, not only does God always listen to us, but look at the next part. It says, you threw me into the ocean, and I sank down, way down the deep of the sea. The mighty waters began to gulf me. I was uh, buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, oh, Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Who is he accusing of all the hardships in his life right now? God. He's acknowledging God. Now, here's a hard, distressing thing. We might say, well, that's rude, but guess what? The reality is God is really doing this to him. God is really doing this. See, the truth that matters is this, is that God disciplines those he loves. He loves Jonah, and he wants him to come back. The reality is he's running from God, and God's throwing all these eggs in his life to get his attention. We, we under, misunderstand that sometimes. As a matter of fact, sometimes we get that verbiage out of line, like we don't understand that God disciplines those he loves, and we believe in, instead that God just loves to discipline, right? We think God just is that angry person. I think of an account with my old pastor, David Holland, when I was up in Afton sharing an account when his kids were about uh, five, six, eight, nine, something like that. I can't remember what age it was. They were really young. I remember he had to give him a spanking for something, and he went and told him, says, listen, this hurts me then it hurt more than it hurts you. And they're like, Dad, that's absurd. Like, no one believes that. And so he thought this would be a grace moment to teach his kids about the love of Christ. And so what does he do? He gets the belt, and he gives them the belt. says, I'm going to show you my love. He says, I'm going to let you guys spank me instead, and I'm going to take your punishment, thinking that would be something to show them. He said when he looked back at his nine-year-old son, the boy was grinning from ear to ear, rearing back, and just began to wail on him. And as soon as he gets done, his eight-year-old daughter says, my turn, my turn, my turn. See, sometimes we think God's the same way, like he just can't wait to come and strike us down. The reality is God's not like that. And you as a parent hopefully know that, and even sometimes we parent, we don't even get discipline right, but God does. God disciplines those he loves. Like, like understand, like, listen, God's ordained hardships in our lives have purpose. They, they have meaning. J- James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 tells us that sometimes God's discipline in our life, God's hardships in our life, are, are meant to mature us, to develop us as Christians. He says this, as dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. The other versions say, consider it pure joy. Why? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, God disciplines and sends hardships our way sometimes to mature us and grow us, but other times God disciplines and sends hardships in our life to redeem us. Jonah's a perfect account. As a matter of fact, look at the end of what this part, uh, verse 4 he says. Is he's saying, God, you've done all this, you've sent all these hardships in my life. And what does he end with? He says, yet what? 
I will look once more toward your temple. He's beginning to understand that God's difficulties are trying to bring him back to God's presence. Let's not overdo scripture, but hey, let's pull out another one. Hebrews 12, listen to what Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says. It says, have you forgotten the encouraging words as God spoke to you as children? He said this, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his children. He says, as you, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who, who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all children, it means, listen to this, that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. If God's disciplined hardships are not in your life at times when you need to be redeemed, the reality is God's like, you're not really my child after all. I have no right, no place to discipline you. Verse 9 says, since we respected our, by our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of the spirits and we live forever? It says, God's discipline is always good for us that we might share in his holiness. It's to redeem us. I shared just a little bit, talking to someone ago, whenever I coached basketball for one season at Liberty, and I said I would always... Be difficult on certain players. I remember one player named Mason getting upset, like, Coach, why are you, why are you just riding me all the time? I said, Mason, because I see something in you. I see your potential. I see what you're capable of. I, I mean, listen, you, you have opportunity here. And if I didn't ride you, it means there was, there's nothing to invest in. There's nothing there. The reason I'm doing this is because I see something in you. God disciplines. God's trying to redeem us. Why? Because he loves us. It's the truth you see right here of Jonah. You see God answers his call. God disciplines those he loves. But, but he also does more. Look at verse 5 through 7. He also can save you. It says, I sank beneath, listen to the language, the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down. Do you hear that language? It's being stuck like, I just can't get out. He says, to the very roots of the mountain, he says, I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. Do you hear that entrapment? Like, man, I'm just stuck. I can't get out. Like, I, I am helpless right now. I am completely lost. But he says this, but you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayers went to you into your holy temple. See, truth is this, listen, God can save you from anything, anywhere, anytime. Like, like, let's think, let me say it again. God can save you from anything, anywhere, anytime. And no matter how bad or how bleak the situation is, God can save you. I can't help but think of a situation when I was eight years old and they were digging out the, the, the uh Pond, pond by our house, and they had this mound of dirt that just got muddy and, this, and just was an absolute mess. And me and my best friend Andrew went out there and we began to climb on it and we began to realize on top of this mound, it was like quicksand. It was so muddy stuff that you would just start sinking. And we just watched Indiana Jones and stuff, so we tried to see how far we could sink before we could get out. And so we take turns going farther and farther. And I sat there and waited and waited and waited and finally I got down to here and realized I got to a point that I couldn't get out. I was waist deep trying to get out of this mud pit and stuff, and my best friend Andrew's trying to get me out. And I'm trying to kick my legs, trying to dig myself. I can't get out. I am stuck. And I remember Andrew clawing with both hands trying to get the mud out. Every time he pulled out, mud would just cave right on top. And I remember crying, saying, oh, I'm dead. Like, oh, Andrew, tell my mom I love her. Like, my, my stereo, you can have that. Make sure my brother. I'm like doing my last will and testament as an eight-year-old kid right there. They got a cake. And my friend Andrew's like, we're going to get you out, man. We're gonna. And like for an hour and a half, we dug. And I finally got out, and my parents are hearing the story for the first time right now. It was a difficult situation. I tell you all that because it's funny how small minds think, isn't it? 
As an eight-year-old kid, I'm thinking, I'm a lost cause, like, no one can save me, I'm dead. But you're like, come on now, like, we would have got you out. I can't help but think of that situation and think about that and think that God looks at us and laughs at our small-minded problems in the same way. Well, I understand this. Like, I don't think God finds our sin cute or innocent or insignificant. But, but I can't help but think he smirks and shakes his head at our belief that there's something we've done that he can't redeem. I can't help believe that. For you to say, for you to stand in front of me and say, but Eric, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past, or, or, or God could never forgive me for a fill in the blank. It's to say the debt I owe is greater than the debt Christ paid. It's an ignorance of pure economics, is what it is. Like, like the price of your sin, understand this, pales in comparison to the price that Christ paid on the cross for your sins. It just doesn't match up. The beauty of this, and you need to wrap your minds around this because it's so truthful and helps us. The beauty is this, is that the price that Christ paid was so great that it not only pays for that one sin right now you're stuck in that you can't get out of, that you keep struggling with, but, but all other sins, both past, present, and future. It means God's got me cover of everything I've ever done, everything I will do, because his sacrifice is perfect. The challenge for us as Christians is not to abuse that grace and come to a point saying, no, I know I have an open tab, and to begin to live and walk and just abuse the grace that God has showed us. But for you to walk around and say, man, you, you don't understand what I've done, like, I don't think you understand my Savior. I don't, I don't think you understand who Christ is. And I can't help but God just kind of smirking like, when are they going to learn? When, when are they going to come to understand who I am, what my son has done? The last thing I think is beautiful about Jonah is not just all that, but look at verse 8 through 9. He says, those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. He says, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I'll fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. So the last thing I want you to understand is this, is that God's grace results in worship and obedience. Jonah comes to a point, what's his response? I will sacrifice in songs and praise. And I'll fulfill the vow you asked me to do. Like, understand, when you experience the grace of a real God, worship and obedience is the natural outcome. It's a natural thing that comes from it. We sometimes get that backwards. We, we don't understand. We, we, we sometimes think that we worship or obey to get a response out of God. Not understanding that we worship and obey as a response from God. Like, we've experienced God's grace and goodness, and because my natural reaction now is to, to, to do these things, they naturally come instead of me saying, I'm going to raise my hands higher and read my Bible more, do this, so maybe God will, will act and do something. God's already acted and done something. Let, let me illustrate it like this. I remember a couple years back, I went to an Oklahoma City Thunder game, and I'm up in Loud City, up in the nosebleed section, rocking it out, enjoying, having no idea who's sitting around me and stuff, and we're packed in like sardines, and we're watching this game, Okay. And I remember watching at the very end, Paul George comes in and hits this floater shot. I know if you're not sports, just follow with me, okay? He hits this floater shot that wins the game last second. And everyone goes nuts. I'm sitting next to this guy that doesn't speak English, and I don't speak whatever he's speaking and stuff. And can I tell you, as soon as that shot goes up, we both jump up. I give him a high five, and we start hugging. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> Never met him in my We didn't talk the entire game. We were just filled with illicit joy, and I'm like, ah, jumping and stuff and hugging, and he says something, I say something back. We don't know who each other are. Like, it was just pure craziness in that moment. Just think about this for a second. Where did that come from? Like, who taught me that? When something crazy, like, just randomly hug someone. No, no one taught me that. It was a natural reaction to what happened in the moment, right? 
Like, worship is the same way. There's no right or wrong way to worship God. Worship, authentic worship is just an authentic response to who he is. And so understand this. Listen, if you struggle worshiping God or obeying God, it, it can mean something is off. Either, listen, either you don't really love God, and that may be hard to hear, but it's a truth you need to hear. Like, this could be a lack from understanding God, God's grace, or God's love for you. Or it could be that you, you're just lack of investment of time, energy, and effort into that relationship. Or, or it could mean this. If you have trouble worshiping or obeying God, it could mean that you don't really love God, or it could mean that maybe you've never really been saved by God. You've never really experienced his grace and goodness. In other words, you're still drowning and you just don't know it. Like today might be the day that God really saves you. And suddenly, you know what? This doesn't seem so awkward anymore to sing. Getting in front of people in a giant jacuzzi tub doesn't seem so odd anymore. Telling people about Jesus isn't uncomfortable anymore. Reading my Bible isn't a chore, it's a joy because I get to know him more. Why? Because it's a natural response when I experience the true grace of God. There's so much beauty in Jonah. But the most interesting thing part to me is what comes at the very end, a little tagline that you probably, don't, you probably miss. Did you, did you see it? it? Jonah prays this whole prayer. Thank you, God, for delivering. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for all you're doing. But, but what happens at verse 10? It says, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit. I love Trump's translation, say vomit Jonah out onto the beach. Real quick, what, what, what does the word then mean? Then means after that, next, what's following. Like Jonah, Jonah hasn't been delivered from the well, the fish, yet. And he's given thanks to God. Like this is a prayer of thanksgiving. Why is it? I told you we'd come back to it. Why is this going on? Because we would think like he still, he still needs deliverance from the fish and God, God hasn't done it yet. This would be a prayer of lament. God, get me out of this fish. But he doesn't. He thanks God instead. The reality is Jonah was drowning, and the fish was his deliverance. The fish was his way out. We think, listen, we think Jonah was, wants to be saved from the fish, but the reality is Jonah is getting saved through the fish. This is an opportunity, and he's come to reality that, listen, there's, there's an opportunity for salvation here. And I can see God's all over this, and I come to a point like, listen, I want to get out of the fish, but God saved me. I don't know if you have a fishy story I, I do. T- Ten years ago, this February, being at a super summer exec staff retreat, if you know what that is, it's a leadership camp for Christian kids and stuff, and we're going to plan this thing. And Russin Umstadt is a, a preacher who's preaching to all the youth pastors in this room. He preaches this whole sermon that's great, and he comes to the end and preaches this little bit about his struggle with thing that I struggled with as well. But I, I didn't want to deal with No one knew about that. I was running from the Lord and all that sorts of stuff. And he got the end, he's made me angry. Like, why would you talk about that? You ruined a perfectly good sermon with this thing that didn't even tie in with what you're talking about. And we get done and we go and meet with the group I'm with, four other youth pastors, and they start talking. And just, you ever just spit something out and you don't know what, like where that came from? I find myself staring in front of these guys and I just said, guys, I, I struggle with the same thing Rustin up there struggling with. And I don't even know what just came out of my mouth. And they all stop and look at me and go, what? And I realize, I'm stuck. Cat's out of the bag. There's no hiding anymore. I began immediately trying to backtrack. How can I get out of this giant fish I'm in and realize that there's no way out? 
They look at me and says, hey, can, can we hold you accountable go talk to your wife? I said, no. <laughs> no. no. I don't, I don't want to mess with this. No. I didn't spend three days and three nights, but I spent one long night staying in the hotel we were at that night just all night and realizing, listen, th- th- this is my opportunity. I went home talked to my wife, and we cried and went through all the sort of tears, and God brought that fishy store, and I look back, and I, I, I don't regret the fish. I'm grateful for the fish because I was saved through the fish. Can I tell you, like, understand, like, it's humbling. Like, J- Jonah was vomited out. <laughs> like, how would you like to be back to your, your story? Yeah, I was one day, suddenly this fish just literally vomited me out. I was there with squid parks and everything else, like, all over the beach and stuff. Like, it, it's humbling. It, it's gross. It's uncomfortable. It's not how I'd want it done. But I look back, like, God's redemption came through that. It was the rude awakening I needed. Like, reality is this, listen, today, for some of you, th- this, this could be your fish story. This could be your situation where you know you're stuck and you're, you're like the lady with her head stuck in, in the staircase. You're not going to get yourself out. Like when you're stuck, God alone can get you out. No one else. No one else. That's the very last words Jonah gives in his prayer. He says, for my salvation comes what? From the Lord alone. And you can keep running the cycle, trying to find other ways to fix your problems, to get out of your rut, to get out of your fish, to get out of your situation. The reality is, listen, God alone is the one wanting to get you. Beauty is you cry out to God, he's going to answer. Beauty is if you're going through punishment, hard time, God is wanting to get your attention. He's wanting to bring you back. The beauty is I don't care what you're in, there's nothing God can't save you from. And the beauty is if you come and experience God's grace, you will experience true worship like it's never been before. No matter what's playing or what's going on, it's good. The question is, do you want it? Because some of us just say, you know what, I'm okay with being in the belly of a fish. It's miserable. You know it. I know it because I've been there. But you're too scared to think about what it takes to get deliverance from it. And so here, here's your opportunity. I'm going to pray. We're going to have, I talked to, I think, JD and stuff, I think, and, and Pete. I haven't really prepped Pete for this, but... Back there, we got a room right there. I'm going to pray. If you want privately, you can go back there. They'll be back there to meet with you, and they'd love nothing more to walk you through how to get out of the fish. You want to come up to me, I'll be right up here. I'd love nothing more to walk you what it means to, to, to have the faith that Peyton had today to do exactly what he did. To come and admit, listen, I ain't perfect. Listen, nobody in this room is perfect. And God wants to redeem all of us and use us. And if you want that, it's available. And so as they dim the lights, go and dim the lights. I'm going to ask you, bow your heads and, and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you this. Just allow God to speak to you. Say, God, if I need to get up, get up right now. As I'm talking, you, you, quietly, discreetly, you can go to the back. They'll be back there in that back little counseling room for you. They'd love nothing more to talk to you. Maybe you just want prayer. My prayer is for you for boldness to reach out to God and say, God, get me out. My fish story was the scariest day of my life. But standing on the other side of it, I'm telling you right now, man, it is, it is it's one of the greatest days of my life. My relationship with the Lord has never been the same in, in such an amazing way. My relationship with my wife has never been the same in such an amazing way. I'm not perfect. I still struggle. But I'm telling you, like, there, there's joy on the other side of it. And so as I pray, you respond. Father God, God, I know there's I know someone in here that what I'm saying is stirring in their heart. God, I pray they get up.
Have confidence to do that. Give them boldness right now. I pray for both. I pray for boldness and conviction. <laughs> I pray they would not leave this place until they talk to myself or one of the elders in the back. Come back there and just say, I, I just need prayer. I need help. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's rededication. Maybe it's just prayer of encouragement right now. Maybe it's guidance. I don't know what it is, but God, just help them to be faithful. God, I pray more in this room would come to experience what I've, what I've experienced, what Peyton experienced as he did, is that your grace is good and it's worth it. sickens my heart to know others are sitting right now in the same boat I was 11 years ago wanting to get out wanting to quit but didn't know how God help them know there's hope God I love you and I praise you because you're good and you want to redeem us help us to understand that message God we love you I pray we'd worship you now in Jesus name I pray amen as we stand and sing, you respond. You respond. Elders are back there, I'll be up here, but you respond.
Dismiss, go out and be the church. Mm-hmm.